Well, good morning, everyone. We're excited you're here today. Happy November. It's nice the weather's starting to get cooler, starting to feel like fall. But we're excited that you're here, here uh, and uh, to worship with us this morning. Just invite you to come in and find a seat as we get ready to um, begin our worship service. We want to start this morning by reading the Holy Word of God. So if you'd like to turn in your copy, it's Psalm 134. You can follow along on the screen. And Psalm 134 says, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do want to come into your house this morning to give praises and to bless your holy name, God. And as we uh, turn to you now, Lord, to worship you through song, God, I pray that you would just orient our hearts, our minds, Lord, our thoughts, Lord, direct them toward you that we might give you the glory. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you, God, for being our creator and sustainer, Lord, for being our savior. God, we give you the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing this morning about the amazing grace of our Lord and Savior as we begin by singing, This is Amazing Grace. the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above our kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who's the orphan, a son and daughter, the king of glory, the king of glory? With truth and justice Shines like the sun in all of its brilliance The King of glory The King above all kings This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be 
set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You laid down your life that I would be set free. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Amen. One day when heaven was filled with his graces, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. The word became flesh and the light shined among us, his glory Saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day Suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins, my Redeemer is He. And that healed nations stretched out on a tree and took the nails for me. Living, He loved me, dying, He saved me, buried, He carried my sins far away. Rising, He justified freely forever. One day He's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day the grave could conceal Him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then He arose over death He had conquered, now is ascended, my Lord evermore. 
Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming, one day the skies with his glories will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one, bringing my Savior, Jesus, is mine. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, a glorious day. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh, glorious day. Oh, glorious day. Oh, glorious day. Oh, glorious day. Take some time to greet one another around you. Just tell them you're glad to see them this morning.
that grace appeared the hour I first believed through many dangers toils and snares I have already This grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days. To sing God's praise than when we first begun. You may be seated. I had a pastor friend one time, he had a visiting. Uh, evangelist and the evangelist said when do we end and the vice pastor said oh about 10 30 and the pastor said we end at 10 30 okay greg i got it anyway are you glad of god's grace you know we had our group meeting last monday and a song has stuck in my heart it's something beautiful something good all my confusion he understood all I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. And he made something beautiful of my... And you had to put up with me because Jim wouldn't sing it for me. Anyway, aren't you glad you're a Christian? We want to welcome everybody, welcome everybody here in the sanctuary. And if there's anybody that's here for the first time, would you raise your hand so we could acknowledge you? Who, who, who? All right. You want to yell out your name? Carl. I know. He talked to me. So that's Carl. I'm Carl. He's Carl with a C. I'm Carl with a K. Carl. So it makes a big difference. Anyway, if you haven't met him, say hi to him. Shake his hand. We want to welcome him back again. And you that are online, same thing. We want to welcome you and thank you for joining us. Those of you that will someday be back with us, we look forward to that. And while you're home this weekend, could you call the office and let them know you're watching so we can keep our numbers right? And you who are in the sanctuary, we have attendance forms. And this, again, helps us keep our numbers because we have some very important voting coming up for the minutes in the, uh, uh, the uh, bylaws of the uh, church. I'll get it right yet. Now, this is the most important announcement I'm going to make, according to Pastor Dwight. Two weeks from today at 5 o'clock, the 21st of November, is our Thanksgiving dinner. And there's two things we want you to do. As you leave, the Women's Committee has out there to go ahead and let us know how many. That's important. And I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there as a bachelor because my wife says, no way, I'm not coming. No, she's going to be gone with my daughter. And so anyway, I'm not going to bring anything to eat because you probably wouldn't want to eat what I brought. But I do have three requests when you guys make my potluck. I love green stuffing or dressing. It is so good. And I love candied. Yams, so good. No mushroom, no mushrooms. 
and I love cream corn. So bring it, let me know, but don't all of you bring it. We'll be in trouble. So be sure you let them know because that way we'll know what to bring and what we need to expect. And the second most important thing is that we have a missionary of the month, Miss Emily Hotsteller, who's in Congo. Can you imagine teaching women skills and education to get them out of poverty? And in the Congo, man, what a, what a job she does in the Congo. So pick up a card and be sure you pray for her. And if you want to donate to her, the blue form we have, just put MOM, Missionary of the Month, and drop it in the offering box. And we are so appreciative of your faithfulness in your giving over the last couple of years. And the next most important thing for me is pastor's class, a terrific class. Help you understand the Bible. Help you understand why it was written the way it was written. And it will become more alive to you because that book is alive. It's a live book, and it does help. And good news, in January, they're going to start a new members class. It'll be three weeks. We have information coming later. Now, you don't have to go to the class to join a church. There are applications out on the board for you. Just pick them up, fill it out, turn them into one of the deacons or deaconesses of the office, and we'll get you started on that thing. Remember the offering box in the back. So now we have a very special person coming to see us, Amy White. She's going to talk about the ministry moment from the missions committee. Where is Miss Amy? There she comes. So listen to what she has to say. It's important. Here you are. Thanks, Amy. Hi. Um, okay. Uh, we have, we've been busy. <laughs> um, today, we do have the Missionary of the Month. We're starting with Emily um, and just wanted to add that she is, um, she could really use a lot of prayer right now. Um, she is experiencing a couple of additional challenges to her everyday ministry work. So you can pick up one of those cards and read about it. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, keep her in mind during the month. Um, today is Orphan Sunday, in addition to a couple other things. Um, so, thank you. Um, so you'll see me at the table uh, in the back by our little missions corner. Um, and I have 10 of these awesome cards. And these are kids. These are um, kids that are in the Global Fingerprints Program, which is our denomination's child sponsorship program. It's a global program. Right now, there are 1,000 kids all over the world that are looking for sponsors. Um, we have 10 of them out on the table. So you can check those out. Our focus is India this year. Um, I am happy to spo already sponsor a kid in India. Um, it's been really fun just to see what's going on with their um, different programs they have there. Um, and then there's, you don't have to pick up a kid. You, there's more information about how to do it all online or do it um, the traditional way. So just come see me after church and um, we'll talk to you more about that. Last year we, or we didn't do it last year, but the year before we got, I can't remember if we got 12 kids sponsored or 14 kids sponsored. So it would be awesome if we could beat that this year. I only have 10 cards, though, so <laughs> you'll have to do it on your own if we go past that, which would be awesome. Um, and then the other thing uh, that we're busy doing um, is it was also the, um, I can't say the whole thing, <laughs> but uh, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Whew. Okay. Um, and so in response to that, we have um, this really cool movie that we're going to show on Friday the 12th, that's 6 o'clock here, 
we will have snacks and ref uh, refreshments and childcare provided, so please, um, please don't let that stop you. Um, it is recommended, because of the material, it's, it's focused on the story of the Ripkins, who um, were missionaries and then had some challenges, um, some, some, some pretty intense stuff happened, and they were questioning what their purpose is, why spreading the gospel would entail all this. And so, is Jesus worth it, is their question. Um, and so there's the movie, and then we will have um, discussion after the movie. So um, this is popcorn, yeah. <laughs> um, so this would be a great time to get together and really um, dig into life questions uh, as far as as a church family or as a Christian, what we're supposed to do with the how we impact the world for Jesus. Um, and I think that's it. So if you have any questions, you can always talk to any one of the mission, missions committee members, that's me, um, Mike Ferretti, Carol Hensel, or Linda Moore. Um, and one more little blip, if you're interested in um, joining us on our missions, um, just come talk to one of us, uh, our missions committee, just come talk to one of us and um, we'll let you know what, that, what that's all about. That's all, thanks. <laughs> and if you're interested in the fellowship hour, Providing goodies. This is the lady you see. She does a lot for us. And if you all are interested in volunteering, we can take volunteers for just about anything. Facilities care, kitchen care, deacons. We just are ready for that. Now, we're going to have an invocation. It's one of my favorite psalms. So if I could just ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Greg, forgive me. I'm going to take a few uh pronoun changes in this, okay, because this was written to me and to you thousands of years ago. It's very personal. So anyway, Psalm 151, we lift up our eyes to the hills from whence cometh, from whence does our help, our help come. Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let us, our feet be moved. He who keeps us will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumber nor sleep. God takes care of us 24 Seven. What an awesome, powerful God. And if you don't know that God, see Greg or Pastor Brian and one of the deacons will help you understand that. Let's continue. The Lord is our keeper. Lord is our shade on our right hand. The sun will not strike us by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep us from all evil. He will keep our lives. The Lord will keep your, our going out and our coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. You may be seated. Hope that was okay with a few changes, Greg. I just felt very personal about that. That God just spends all his time with me and with you and with you and with you. And if you don't know that, seek one that's going to help you. Anyway, one of the blessings of being a Christian is being able to talk to God. We call it prayer. So we're going to just bring our request to him and try, and try and understand his will for this church and for this community. So God, thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the beautiful blue sky that you're bringing cleared. Thank you for the mercy that you've shown to the EV Free Church and the people here, Father. We just are so impressed with who you are and what you're like. And, Lord, we know that if Jesus hadn't lived that perfect life, that we couldn't know you, we couldn't understand you. If he didn't die on the cross to impart that righteousness to us as we make mistakes and as we, at times, err, thank you for forgiving us. Help us to know when we've erred or we have omitted that we can change. Lord, we just pray for our church and for this community that revival will happen and that the gospel truths of the 
Reformation that we heard last week, all five of them would become part of our lives, that we could very easily share you with those we come in contact with. So those in our local schools, the teachers, my gosh, the pressure they're under to, to do things that aren't godly, give them strength, give them courage, because the truth will always win out. And for our own Christian school with Mark Bates, who's our principal, and the teachers that are here, give them the strength to teach the gospel truths to these kids as they grow. They would become strong, strong, strong leaders. And as Amy said, the persecuted church. Sometimes, Lord, you think they're going to persecute us tomorrow. But for those that are in Africa and the Middle East and even here and other places that are being persecuted, not only with physical and mental, but just give us strength, Lord. And you promise as the three men were in the furnace, Jesus was there with them. You may not take us out of that, but you have the grace that we can get through that. And we pray for our leaders. Maybe you're a leader. We pray for you because God put you in that position of leadership. We pray for the leaders of the church, for our city, for our nation, our county, for the world. Lord, you put them there. Nothing happens other than you have done that. And that they would come to know you, hear your voice, and understand who you are. And for the pastors and the elders and the deacons and the deaconesses of this church, touch their hearts, Lord. Don't let them give up just because they want to give up. Let them hang in there with the struggle. So we just thank you and thank you and thank you. Father, there are those right now that are ill, hospitalized, can't be here. Would you just put your hand of grace and mercy on them? Touch them. Let them know we're praying for them. Let them tell us how we can help them during this time. And Father, for some of us, our friends that have not been to church for a while for whatever reason, would you just quicken their hearts? And I thank you for these people that are so in love with you, they're willing to give their time to come and worship you and share. Thank you for the offering. Or without that, this church could not continue. And we pray for Pastor Greg, Lord, to spend hours preparing this message for us from your word. And we just ask you to give him uncommon boldness and comfort and conviction as he talks to us and gives us your word. And we all said, Amen. morning. It's always good to come to the table of the Lord, to remind ourselves of our great need of a Savior and of our great need of a comforter and how thankful we are that in his comfort and in his grace, he took our place as we've already sung this morning. Author and pastor Leslie Flynn tells the story that illustrates the true nature of our redemption. An orphaned boy was living with his grandmother when the house caught on fire. The grandmother desperately tried to get upstairs to rescue the boy, but she herself perished in the flames. The boy cried out for help for a season until finally it was answered when a man climbed an iron drain pipe outside the home and came back down with the boy clinging tightly to his neck. Several weeks later, there was a public hearing to determine who would receive custody of the child. A farmer, a teacher, and the town's wealthiest citizen gave reasons why they should be chosen to give the boy a home. 
But as they talked, the lad's eyes remained fixed on the floor. And then it happened. A stranger walked in, slowly took his hands from out of his pockets, revealing severe scars on them. As the crowd gasped, the boy cried out in recognition. This was the man who had saved his life. Threw his arms around the man's neck and held on for dear life because the scarred hands had settled the issue of the one to whom he belonged. Jesus Christ came to live a life of perfect obedience for the law and the prophets and of perfect righteousness for the requirements of God. And he died the perfect sacrifice for the sins of those he came to save. There are many would-be saviors in the world today, many who claim to have some way of setting us free, many who can help us to live a better life. But the one whose hands are scarred is the only one qualified to save us from our sins, both for time and for eternity. If this morning you are in Christ, then you know that you are safe and secure in the scarred hands that redeemed you. And therefore, it's good for us to come to the Lord's table, to reflect, to remember, to rejoice what Christ has done for us. And so this morning, if without a shadow of a doubt, as we remembered last week during the celebration of the Reformation, you know that you are saved uniquely by the grace of God shown through Jesus Christ that you are clothed uniquely with the righteousness of Christ and not at all by anything that you have done, then come and eat with us this morning. There is room at the table for you. If you know your need for Christ and you know that others in Christ have the same need, then why not come together and let us eat together as a testimony that we are one family around one table, eating of one loaf with one Father and one Savior who is our host. But there's a warning in Scripture, and that is if you are harboring anger in your heart or unforgiving spirit towards another, then resist coming this morning. For you see, when we gather around the table, it's not a place for the self-righteous or the indignant. It's a place for the unworthy, but the forgiven in Christ. We receive our instructions this morning as Jesus gave them in the gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 14. Where we, are, we read, as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The servants will now come forward, they will be serving us. They will be passing out the pre-filled cups that contain the wafer and the juice that we will eat and drink together. I have been advised that there was a, a little bit of an accident in one of the bags, and so some of the cups might be sticky. I think we can deal with it. If our Savior is willing to hang on a tree, we can deal with a little bit of a sticky cup. While they pass out the elements, we're going to sing. As a family, giving a praise offering to the Lord for who he is and what he has done for us. And then as they are done, we ask you to dispose of the cups in the little trays in front of you or in a bag that will be available as you go out the door. But it's good for us to turn to the Lord now and pray. Pray for the distribution of the elements. And so I'm going to ask my brother Jerry to come and pray. Heavenly Father, 
we would continue to be in awe of what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, what immeasurable love you poured out upon us. Sinners, Father, uh, sinners in your eyes, enemies of you, and yet you still sacrificed your son for us. And uh, he has asked us to remember you as we take these elements. And we just uh, thank you for this communion. In Christ's name, amen. Speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth. Speaks righteousness for me and stands in my defense. Jesus, it's your blood. Your blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth speaks righteousness for me and stands in my defense Jesus it's your blood what can wash away our sins what can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash us pure as snow, welcomed as the friends of God? Nothing but your blood, nothing but your blood, King Jesus. Your cross testifies in grace, tells of the Father's heart to make a way for us. Now boldly we approach, not with earthly confidence. It's only by your blood What can wash away our sins What can make us whole again Nothing but the blood Nothing but the blood of Jesus What can wash us pure as snow, welcomed as the friends of God? Nothing but your blood, nothing but the blood, King Jesus. What can wash away our sins? What can make us whole again? 
Nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them and said, take and eat. This is my body. Let us eat in remembrance of our great God. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Let us drink in remembrance of what Christ has done. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. We are commanded that as often as we eat and drink this bread and drink this cup, we declare his death. As we look forward to his return. At this time, I think we're, the kids are ready to be dismissed. Okay, I invite you to stand for our next song. Treasure thou art. 
appreciative of the hard work of the worship team and I know they're getting ready for uh, our Christmas celebration with lots of different musical presentations and so you have that to look forward to and please be praying for them as they prepare but I know that's one thing we all look forward to every week is coming and worshiping and praising the Lord together in his novel Cat's Cradle Kurt Vonnegut Jr has the story discover an important book that becomes part of the story. So there's a story within the story. And within this story, the book is entitled, What a Thoughtful Man Can Hope for Mankind on Earth Given the Experience of the Past Million Years. And the chief character is anxious to read to find out the solution. But when he does, he finds it doesn't take long to get to the answer. For the whole book consists of one word, nothing. For the one who does not know the Lord, or who seeks answers in things other than the Lord, that is all that this will all come to, nothing. But for the one who does know the Lord, there's great hope for the future, and there's great hope for the present. Because the Lord governs all things well for his eternal glory and for the good of his people. Now the book of Ruth stands as a beacon of hope in the midst of the dark days of the times of the judges. When most of Israel had turned away to serving their own cultural ideas, each one doing what was right in his own eyes, the book of Ruth reminds us that God is always at work letting his light shine even when the things of this world seem their darkest. Two weeks ago, we began our study in the book of Ruth. As chapter 1 ended, we saw that Naomi was not particularly happy that Ruth had stayed with her and followed her back from Moab to Bethlehem. And yet we saw that the, the chapter ended with a word of hope. For in the larger picture, 
Ruth has joined the people of God. The barley harvest has begun. The barley harvest was a sign of the first fruits of an even greater harvest to come. And indeed, we see that in the book of Ruth. Naomi is now back in Bethlehem, where once again there is bread in the city that is named the House of Bread. So after a long season of difficulty, which included famine, fear, even death, hope was in the air. And while we're going to take some time to look at some of the main characters and details of the story as we get to Ruth chapter 2 today, we are of course reminded yet again that in the bigger picture, it is God who is ultimately the true hero. And he is the one that is directing all things for his purposes. Now this morning, if the Lord should so strengthen us, we're going to go through the entire chapter 2 of the book of Ruth. But for our reading this morning, we will simply read the first seven verses. And I invite you to stand once again as we read God's holy word. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him and whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you, and they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the ser servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now, Father, as you have empowered the reading of your word, would you now give its understanding through your Holy Spirit? Help us, Lord, to hear. Father, we know we are tempted with many distractions in our hearts and in our minds. And so this morning, would you be the one that banishes them, that we might focus on you and the word that you have given, so that we might glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as is our custom, we have a sermon outline that you can follow. And if you look in your bulletin, you'll see that our first major point is determination and gleaning. And we draw this from the first seven verses. As we've said, it was not necessarily Naomi's idea that Ruth return with her because her presence would be a constant reminder that they should not have gone to Moab in the first place. As we saw in chapter one, it is better to stay in the way in the plans of God than to try to seek your own plans outside of his designed will. And yet God is not taken by surprise. And so what Naomi did not know what we do, and we'll see more and more as we uncover the story of Ruth, is what God is actually doing with Ruth being with her. We found Naomi in chapter 1 to be someone who was gloomy and in darkness emotionally and, and even a, to, to a degree spiritually. And so we're reminded that sometimes in the darkness of our own lives, it is difficult to see the light. Naomi was a woman who was in great pain in her soul, 
And so yet she's not able to see how God is going to bring about his promises and his provision to her and her people through this relationship with Ruth. So I think it's a reminder to us, friends, today that we may think that we're going through dark times in our lives. And indeed, for us, they are dark times, maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually, maybe economically, maybe in relationships. But it's especially during those times when we are going through the darkness that we need to hang on to the Lord and trust that his light will reveal one day what he is doing. So as we look a little further at what Naomi is going through, we come to Ruth's faithfulness in the first three verses. Ruth's faithfulness. Our text begins by telling you that there is a relative from the clan of Elimelech. You recall that the name Elimelech, God of me, is king. Elimelech means my God is king, and yet he didn't act in a way that was consistent with his name. But God's not done with the story. There is someone that is in the clan of Elimelech who is called a worthy man. Now, what's interesting about this word that could be translated as worthy or noble is that it was used in the book of Judges to describe Gideon. But in that context, it was to describe a mighty warrior. But it means something very different here because it's one of those words that has multiple meanings depending on the context. In fact, how this word is used in Proverbs 31 verse 10 is to describe the noble and virtuous woman. And so this same word now is used to describe Boaz in Ruth chapter 2, that he is a noble, virtuous, and as we will find out, a wealthy man, a man of means. What a contrast then, as we've talked about where we're given the meaning of names, they always have a teaching behind it. So here we have someone from the clan of Elimelech, Elimelech whose name was my God as king, who didn't act accordingly, and he had two sons named Mahlon and Kilian, and you recall their names meant weak and frailty. So in the context of these three men, we have a, a man whose name means now noble and virtuous. So even in the names, there's an indication of what we should see in the story. Now at this point, Naomi is tired. She's grieving. She's alone. She's come back to Bethlehem after a long season abroad. And she knows that culturally she should be the one that's providing for Ruth. Instead, we see Ruth here that takes the initiative. Because after all, the women may be tired, they may be in need of rest, but they're also in need of food. And so Ruth shows courage and takes initiative. She's not going to just go out begging, she's going to go out working to seek to scatter together their needs. And the best way that down through the centuries, we have learned the best way to actually help the poor is to give them work, to allow them to provide for their own means, to uphold dignity, let them earn their keep, but provide opportunities for them to do them. The good blessings of God do come down from heaven, but we need to pick up our baskets and go out and collect them. Well, the law did make provisions for people in this type of situation, for the widow, the orphan, the alien in the land. I give you some references here in Leviticus in the book of Deuteronomy. The people of Israel were commanded to not harvest their crops all the way to the edges, all the way to the corners, but to leave some of the fruit of the harvest there. And moreover, those who were willing to work could go after the harvesters and glean what they had left behind. 
So somehow Ruth knows that this is a possibility because she says to her mother-in-law, let me go and glean among the ears of grain. Now we're going to look at that more closely because there's more here than our initial observation. So even the Moabites who were not allowed to come into the fellowship of Israel, we talked about that in chapter 1, up to the 10th generation, they were not allowed to come in to the fellowship of Israel. But here is a woman who has shown a change of allegiance, who has shown repentance, who has left all that was behind her to follow in the pathway of God. And therefore, then, she could participate in this sign of grace given under the law. Well, what would be the process of those days? The, the, the gleaners would come after the harvest had been brought in. They could go on the edges of the field in the corners, as I've said, and they could pick from whatever had been left behind. But you can only imagine then, because human beings being as they are, that someone would hear the law and landowners would interpret it a little bit differently. Some perhaps showing a lot more mercy and some just fulfilling the letter of the law. I'll give you one stock or two and no more. It doesn't say that, but we know enough about human beings to know that not all of them are going to be of a generous nature. And that makes sense then why Ruth would say, let me glean in the field in the one in whose eyes or whose sight I shall find favor. You got to go out and work hard. It's better to work in the field of the one in whose sight you find favor than in the field of a miser who has made sure that he didn't leave much behind at all. So God, we see his grace even at work in this situation. It's hidden, but if we know the law, if we know the background, we see that grace is showing up. And grace is the actions of God in his personal involvement with his people. God is always a personal God who personally involves himself with his people. And his gracious actions are his personal love and commitment and showing up to us. And so here we have God's favor and grace showing up even in this difficult circumstance. So the harvest is ready. Naomi, uh, Ruth is ready to work. Now Naomi will learn more about her, but for now she just gives a two-word response. In Hebrew, we translate it as, go my daughter. No warning is given about the fields, about the dangers that are there. That will come later. But because of what we have seen, we know that Naomi can go out because she knows that, that God is the one who's going to be her protector and provider. And that will become clearer as the story moves forward. For after Ruth's faithfulness, we also see God's providence. Ruth is the one. She decided. She took initiative. She went to glean grain. But we will see that God was already in control according to his providence. Now the providence of God does not nullify man's actions and man's responsibilities. In fact, I would say the providence of God empowers, encourages, enhances man's actions. We can work hard in the Lord. We can obey him. We can work hard to overcome sin. We can pray without ceasing. We can preach the gospel because we know that the Lord is already at work in us, guiding us, strengthening us, and leading us from one situation to another. I've heard it said over the years that the key to the Christian life is just let go and let God. And you know, there's a certain truth to that, but it is misleading, my friends, so let's get rid of it. A better way of saying it is, trust God and get busy. 
Because we're to be the ones that are to obey, actively obey the commands of God. If you want to have something from the Reformation, Luther said, trust God and plant the cabbage. Trust God and get busy. So we're told that Ruth sets out to glean, to provide, and we see the genius of the biblical writer as he says, and she just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. This is a rhetorical advice, uh, device. There's a play on words here. Literally, if we were to translate it, it was saying, and chancing, she chanced upon the field of Boaz. Or it was a stroke of luck. Now, does the biblical writer here really believe in luck? Or is this just a way of drawing attention to the fact that God has been orchestrating all things behind the scenes? And we know that this is just a literary device to get our attention to look at how God is orchestrating things sight unseen to us, so therefore we can trust him. Because think about it. God has been the one who brought the famine. God has been the one who brought back the bread. And now God is the one who guides this woman to this land at just this time. You see, my friends, in the universe, there are no random atoms just off doing whatever they want to do. They're all under the control of God, who created all things and who sustains all things by the power of his word. So she's there in the fields, and we'll look at that a little more in just a moment. And then we have another one of these sayings, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Again, we'd have a coincidence that this man came at just this time when this woman is present in this field, and there's a great need. The author, I think, if he were to put a little commentary in the, in, the, in the margins for us, he would say, people pay attention. God's at work here. He might even say, because we had, we had to talk about earlier, we've got movie night on Friday, and somebody shouted out popcorn. This would be the time to start making the popcorn, because the story is starting to get really good. So Boaz arrives and addresses his workers, and he, he gives a blessing. He said, the Lord be with you. And they reply back, the Lord bless you. And we look at that, and they say, ah, oh, that's just... That's just religious language. Well, it might be, but remember the context. The book starts out in the days that the judges judged. In the days when men, each one did what was right in his own eyes. When all was dark, when all was difficult, there was a remnant who remained faithful to the Lord. As one commentator, David Strange, says that even during the time of Judges, there were some hardworking men in Bethlehem who invoked the name of the Lord in their greetings and in their work. And my friends, may you be among their numbers. No matter how dark things may come, no matter how things may look, no matter how difficult we may think things are, may you be among the remnant that say, the Lord bless you and recognize his light shining even in the midst of that darkness. As we read between the lines, this Boaz, he seems to be a good guy. He, we would all want him to be our boss. He seems to treat his employees well. He's respected. We know that's not always the case. It certainly wasn't always the case in the time of the judges. But I do find something interesting. He, we are told twice that it basically just so happens, both with Ruth and then with Boaz. But is, can we really say it just so happens? Unless the Lord is in it. So when you have what you think are coincidences in your life, if your hand is in the hand of the man who stilled the waters, as the old chorus says, you know that there's no coincidences. And you can look, actively look for ways that God is guiding you. 
Well, Boaz arrives. He speaks to the one who probably was the supervisor. And his question is interesting. It's not, well, who is this woman? It's whose woman is this? It gives you an idea of what's going on in the economic times at that time. It would not be uncommon for workers to be working in the field. And they would be identified with whoever was the one had sent them to work. So Boaz would know who his workers are, and suddenly he sees one in there. Well, she must be mistaken in what field she came to because she's not in my work team. Well, whose is she? And his supervisor replies that she's a young Moabite woman. And Ruth can never get away from that title. She's always referred to as the Moabite or Ruth from Moab or whatever. I think God is intentionally reminding us that his grace is not limited to a people in a place. That his grace is lavish to all in whom he is working, no matter where they come from, even those Moabites. The supervisor knows who she is, but he's not sure what to make of it. And so we get to what's called the servant's conundrum. The servant's conundrum. And you say, well, why a conundrum? This confusing situation. I'm going to explain to you why. It's not sure, in the original language, what Ruth is asking for. Now, I know in our translations, we have to make decisions. And so the ESV, the King James, the New American Standard, today's Living Bible, they all smooth it out a little bit, but they've had to choose it's either one of two things. And the various translations will reflect those two ideas. Is she asking simply to come and work as the normal gleaners would work? After the reapers, after the harvesters, she would be among the gleaners. Or is she asking for a special favor and saying, no, don't put me at the end of the train. Let me kind of glide in after the harvesters and have a little better crack at the grain that is there. Now, the, the English Standard Version renders it, let me glean among the sheaves after the reapers. It seems to imply then that she is asking to be part of the second part in the process, not the third. But what's interesting is, the original Hebrew seems to imply that um, hmm, she asked one thing, but the early translations in Greek and Latin seem to imply something else. Don't let that bother you, because it doesn't take away from what is actually happening, but it is interesting, it's not always that easy to translate an ancient word into something that we understand in contemporary language. Moreover, was she working the whole time, or was she waiting to get the response she wanted to hear? In other words, well, she, she got the response, and I don't have to go to the end of the line. I can go to that middle party and get a little better chance at the grain. Or is she, the supervisor doesn't know and says, well, wait until I can get permission. Again, the translations from antiquity are not in agreement. And that's what makes Bible study so fun. We have to understand what was the original context, what were they trying to get at. Was she asking for a special favor, or was she just simply working like all would work? Now, why am I belaboring this point? Partly because I want you to see that sometimes it, it, there's work involved in studying the Word of God. And that's why we need to work hard, each one of us, to show ourselves as students approved as we study the Word. But in either case, we see the creativity of Ruth. We see her initiative. We see character in her. Okay? Whether she came early in the morning and took the trail under the train and just did what was there... Or whether she came and said, actually, I'd like to jump a step and I'd like to move in after they've cut the branches and thrown them down. I want to go in and shake out the leaves and not wait, or the sheaves, and not wait until afterward. I tend to think that's what she did. And I think that's one of the reasons why she came back with such an abundant harvest. And then when we look at what 
Boaz says to her, I think it confirms that translation. But what do we see here? She's taken the initiative. She wants to provide for her mother-in-law. She's already left it all behind to come and live in a new land, a new language, a new family. She's willing to work hard, and she is loyal. She is determined. She is devoted to the well-being of her mother-in-law. We're starting to get some color about what kind of woman she is. And it's interesting then that she shows up in the, in the genealogies of the Lord Jesus Christ as someone in whom God is working and working great works. So after we've seen determination and gleaning, we now get to duty and goodness, verses 8 to 16. Verses 8 to 16, duty and goodness. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat behind the reapers and she, pa and she passed and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. We see a lot about the character of Boaz here. He means, or he acts according to the meaning of his name, a man of integrity and compassion and kindness, it appears that he is one who has experienced the grace of God and is willing to show that grace to others. And so first we see his goodness, Boaz's goodness. From the first encounter that Boaz has in our story, he shows concern for Ruth, even referring to her as my daughter. The exact same language that Naomi had used just a few verses before. It's almost as if he has a parental interest in, in Ruth. He wants to help this woman. He's heard about her loyalty, but that she's hardworking, that she has good character, but she's poor and she's in need. So with tender terms, he tells Ruth to remain working in his field. And all throughout this story, he speaks kindly and gentle to her. Don't wander off into another field, he says. There's plenty for you to work in my field. Stay close with the other young women who work for me. He has an understanding that her being a foreigner and a woman would have been vulnerable to abuse from the men working in the field. I mean, it's not hard for us to imagine what the language would be like. What is this foreigner doing here? She's not worthy of respect. She's one of those Moabites. We can treat her poorly. But Boaz 
protects her early on, shows that he truly is a noble man. Commentator Daniel Block looks at this and says it's interesting that in this time of great mistreatment of women during the time of judges, it's as if Boaz has instituted the first anti-sexual harassment policy. No wonder then that when he says, stay in this field, Ruth says, I'm going to stay in this field. I know when I've got a good thing going. She has received so much mercy from Boaz. As Boaz continues in his instructions, he says, follow along with my women as they harvest. Four times he makes reference to the need to protect Ruth from the other male workers who are told not to touch her. Now the language is hiding a little bit, but we know from our own experience that this would involve all matters of harm that men could potentially do to women. And the first hearers then would be amazed at how much favor Boaz is showing this this foreign woman. Now, if you remember when we introduced the book, we said one of the main themes would be the chesed of God. Chesed is that Hebrew word that means God's covenantal love. Tyndale translated it as loving kindness. It's faithfulness, gentleness, love, commitment, loyalty, all bound up into one. God shows his chesed, love towards his people. But oftentimes those who have been touched show chesed one to another. And that's what Boaz is showing here. He is showing chesed to Ruth. And he would do it again and again. Why would he show such favor to this foreign woman, they might ask. He says, he even goes so far as to say, if you're thirsty, go and drink from the water that the men have already drawn. And we just read that and we say, well, that's convenient. My friends, it's revolutionary. To the first hearers, this would have been amazing. An amazing reversal of the norms. Because in that culture, it was the women who would draw water for the men. It was the Moabites who would draw water for the Israelites. And here a Moabite woman is allowed to go and take water that had been drawn by the Israelite men. The kindness of God shows up in amazing and surprising ways. And so we might be tempted to ask at this point, and of course we're going to have to ask and then answer the question eventually, what is Boaz's interest in this story? Is there romance in the air? Is there cultural obligation where you show responsibility and kindness to those who come into your realm? Is there just kindness? If so, what kind? Now, we don't know yet. But the writer is very creatively drawing us into the story step by step, showing God is starting to put pieces into place and showing his goodness along the way. And so in response to Boaz's goodness, then we see Ruth's gratitude. She's overwhelmed. We see in verses 10 to 13, she can't believe it. She falls to the ground and and bows before him. She knows that she's an inferior, bowing before a superior. Why have I found favor in your eyes, she says. I'm just a young woman, a foreigner. We're usually among the unseen and the unrecognized and the unconsidered. But she's received special treatment far more than she would ever deserve, could ever expect to receive. My friends, that's what the grace of God does. The grace of God always does far more than we could ever expect to receive. We have an image here that will become more manifest throughout Scripture, but it's something that we celebrated even this morning. The gospel. We didn't get what we deserved. No, we got mercy and grace. 
far more than we could ever expect to see. Boaz will act as a type of redeemer, a a type of kinsman, a, a display of grace that prepares us because he's going to be in the line of the Messiah that eventually will lead to the Messiah where we won't just get temporal kindness of of working in a field. We will get eternal kindness of being in the house of the Lord. We won't just get just an an opportunity in space and time, but eternal blessing in the presence of God. We won't just get bread that serves us for a time and for a season, but the bread of life with whom we'll have eternal fellowship with the Father. So Ruth is amazed that Boaz even notices her. The supervisor has noticed her. The young men have noticed her. Boaz now notices her. And now, after she says, why? He finally lets on that he knows more to the story than he's been telling it. He says, well, I actually know a few things about you. I know that you've been kind to your mother-in-law, Naomi. After all, she is one of my relatives. He knows that she has left her father and her mother to continue on with Naomi. And in that culture, he knows, as we now know, that to leave your parents was a sign that a change of allegiance has taken place. It was a sign of conversion. And she has left her gods, her people, her land, her own families to follow the path of God's people. And Boaz is impressed by this example of faith. And that reminds us, does it not, of another kinsman redeemer. Who when he came, he told us that whoever would come after him must deny even father and mother. And deny himself, take up his cross and follow after him. Ruth symbolically walked on a very similar path that led her to the people of God. Are you on the path with the people of God today? Are you still seeking your own path, thinking there's a back door somewhere that you can figure out? Moved by the testimony of Ruth, Boaz calls on the Lord then to say, may the Lord repay you. It's the actual word that's used. That He doesn't want her to be cheated out of the blessings that he thinks should be coming her way. He said, look, you've lost your husband. You've left your land. You left your parents. You've left everything. You've come to follow and serve your mother-in-law. May you get your full reward. Moreover, may you be rewarded because we have this beautiful picture of the love of God. Verse 12, you have come under the wings of the God of Israel to take refuge. I have a tender picture here of the love of God for his own. Like the mother bird who shelters her young under her wing for protection. Here we have this widowed Moabite woman who has joined the people of God, who has come under the comfort and protection of God and his gentle grace. The wings of the Lord are a place of comfort, a place of safety, a place of protection, a place of stillness in the storm. Ruth needed all of those things, and she's come to know that only God can provide them. And that she who was formerly far away, an enemy of the people of God, has been brought near. Now Ruth knows that she has found favor with Boaz, and later she will understand that Boaz himself was an instrument of God's mercy and grace toward her. Because God ultimately is the source of all mercy and grace. But notice the two things that she comments on. Because they strike right at the heart of each one of us of wanting to be seen. Of wanting to be appreciated as an image bearer of God. She says, you have comforted me. She who was lonely 
Timothy, who was perhaps afraid. She was uncertain. She was a foreigner. He says, you have brought me comfort. The idea here is, is to breathe a sigh of relief. And we all know that sigh of relief when we feel a sense of comfort from the Lord. Because the Lord is merciful and desires to show his mercy to us. Secondly, she says, you have spoken kindly to me. Can you imagine the language that she has had to hear from the fellow workers in the field? Perhaps even from her mother-in-law. Remember on their 70-mile journey from Moab back to Bethlehem. And she says, you have spoken kindly to me as one of your servants. Though I'm not a servant. What she's actually doing is there were, there were several words for servants. And they had to do with different legal rights that you could have. And she said, you have treated me as one of your servants that had legal rights that actually was connected to you. But I am not. I am actually. And she names the term that's at the lowest end. I wasn't entitled to anything. But you elevated me. And you spoke kindly to me. And you comforted me. Again, that's what grace does. The grace of God overcomes age. The grace of God overcomes the differences in race, the differences in class. The grace of God brings his children together. And then we see Boaz's generosity. By this time in the conversation, it's not sure how much work Ruth has actually done. It depends on how we interpret it at the beginning. She has been working for a season, and now she is invited to lunch, which was a sign then that she has been accepted. And she's told to come in and join with the other reapers, the other gatherers. It's a sign of mercy. Eating together was a sign of community. In fact, it still is the case today that oftentimes having a meal together is a sign that reconciliation is taking place. Having a meal together is a sign that contracts are developed. It is often over meals together in the Middle East, even today, that marriages are arranged. The idea of eating together was not just to get me through the drive through get my stomach full so I can get on with life. Eating was the center point of life, where life happens as people eat in community one with another. She goes on and she eats. We'll, we'll skip over some of the details of what she would have eaten, but the grain is involved. Keep that in mind. There was roasted grain, probably from the harvest that they had just collected. But she eats until she is satisfied. Can you feel her relief? She's just come on this long journey coming back to Bethlehem from Moab. When's the last time she would have had a good meal? We don't know. We know that the women were in need, and she went to the field and started working. Remember when Naomi said, I went away full and I've come back empty? God is in the process of restoring that which she thought was empty to its fullness. We're going to see more and more a picture of his grace and chesed and how the Lord provides for his people often in unusual terms, in unusual ways. Boaz continues to give further instructions to show grace upon her, even letting them go and glean among that which has just been cut. What would happen is they would cut the leaves. Usually the men would come by, cut the leaves, drop them on the ground. The women would come by. They'd bind them up so they're being ready to brought to the, the threshing floor. And Boaz says, you can go right to the front before they're even bound. And then take some out of the bound and just fill up your sack, fill up your harvest. He shows her grace upon grace. And you have to wonder what the other workers are thinking. You can imagine things like, well, you lazy foreigner, why don't you work for yourself? And so Boaz has to say, don't rebuke her. 
Don't reprove her. Don't humiliate her is literally the term. Why is God showing all of this grace and mercy to Ruth? By a man she has just met that she barely knows, but who's now treating her like family. Now, as we tell this story, my friends, make it alive. Make it in 3D. Show it in full color of how God works in and through personal relationships to get the story across. So after we've seen duty and goodness, we finish with delight and gladness. Delight and gladness. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an apha of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to her, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And so we get to the fruitful harvest. Ruth is a hard worker. She works till evening. Even if she had asked for a special favor and it was granted, that did not mean she did not do her part to work fully and honestly and with great ardor. Because that's how the grace of God works. It empowers us to work. It empowers us to obey. It strengthens us to want to do the things of God. Many, many years later, the Apostle Paul would understand this truth. And he would tell the church in Philippi, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Apply it. Put it into practice. Obey. Do what the Lord commands. Be active in your service. And why can they be that way? Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. His grace leads us to obey. His power makes us want to serve him with a joyful obedience. So Ruth gathers all of the she's and she begins to beat them out and and she, she ends up with an aphe of grain. Now, depending on the measures you use, because we don't know exactly what measure was being used, but we do know that it was somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of grain. Not bad for a day's work. This would be enough to feed these two women for several days. And what that shows us is God's abundance. It shows Boaz's generosity. It shows her initiative all of it empowered by God's goodness and under God's providence. 
So she carries this sack home. That would be a picture, wouldn't it? Trying to carry this 30 to 50 pound bag of grain that she comes home and shows her mother-in-law, who is, of course, extremely surprised that she was able to have such a fruitful day. And we see a little act of kindness kind of tucked into the commentary. And it says, and she pulled out from what she had left over from lunch. That was a cooked meal. If you're a hungry woman and somebody brings home a cooked meal, it's a good day. We see the grace of God showing up just even in the details of life. No wonder Naomi cries out. And she recognizes now that God is at work in her life. She thought all was dark. She was bitter when she came back. But now we see it as she is experiencing afresh the grace of God. Her tone has turned from pouting to praise. Where did you glean? Who did you work with? Oh, may God bless the one in whose hands you found favor. She knew that only the Lord could bring this about. Now, when I was reading the verse, you notice I slowed it down until I could get to the last word of the sentence, which was the name of the man who did this. That's exactly how it is in Hebrew, and in Hebrew, word order is very important. It's almost as if she's telling the story. There was a man, he gave me to drink water, I could eat with the others, I could reap in his fields, he protected me, and he blessed me again and again. And this man, who was so kind, who was so gentle, who was so good to me, by the way, was named Boaz. The, the writer was building the drama. Because what is Naomi's response when she hears a shout of gratitude? She knows who this man is. And she asks that he be blessed. She knows that there's some cultural things now that are going on. That Boaz is this man who is kind, a vessel of God's kindness. And he is going to understand some of the obligations that he's going to be under according to the culture of that day. I'm going to skip over briefly what's happening in verse 20 just to get to our final two points. Wise and hopeful counsel is what Naomi gives to Ruth. She says, stay with the young women. Now we start to see some of the advice. She knows what could happen in these fields. I don't want you to, anything bad to happen to you. I want you to be protected. There's also something else that could be going on. By saying, stay with the young women so that none of the men interact with you, that means none of the younger men could interact with you with a marriage proposal. Because I'm hoping that you'll be preserved for somebody else who is our kinsman redeemer. Oh, but wait, I'm getting ahead of the story. We might need to wait till next week. But there is a mention of the kinsman redeemer. And this is a concept we'll talk more about, that there were, it was expected that families took care of themselves. And families were bigger than just mom and dad and kids. It was the whole clan that you were part of, and the clans would take care of one another. But look at where we are at the end of chapter 2. We have two widows who are now provided for. Because they'll be able to work, she'll be able to work in the fields until the harvests are over. The harvest would last about seven weeks. And you probably caught on not just the barley harvest. Boaz said, stay on through the wheat harvest as well. She will work for several weeks in those two harvests. But we end again with a word of hope. With this word, the kinsman redeemer. that in verse 20 there is a close relative of ours kinsman one of our redeemers 
It's got a broad and deep history in the Old Testament of what a kinsman or redeemer could do. He was responsible generally for the welfare of the tribe or the clan. He was the one that would ensure that if a man died, his property would be passed on in his name through his lineage. He would buy the freedom of an Israelite who had put him who out of debt had put, sold himself into slavery to pay off the debt. He would be the one to pay off the debt to set the Israelite free from slavery. He would be the one that would execute blood justice. If, if someone was wrongly killed in a clan, he would be the one that would come after and take care of it. It could mean any one of those things, all of them, or even more. It's just one of these terms that is unique to the history of Israel. But Ruth now sees glimmers of light shining in, I'm sorry, Naomi sees glimmers of light shining in the firmament of her life. It had been dark in chapter 1. It had been dark for a number of years. Now she sees hope that there's light that is coming. There would be seven weeks of harvest that would come for the barley and for the wheat. And if she was allowed to continue at the same rate in those seven weeks, Ruth would be able to provide enough for the two of them for a whole year. When God blesses, he does a pretty good job of it. And his grace is always lavish. Well, there's so much more we can say, and we will as we get into chapters 3 and 4. But as we get to the end of chapter 2, we have two widows now that are provided with bread, but still looking for a solution for what will happen with this daughter-in-law. So Naomi has checked the first box. We can eat again, but what about box number 2? Well, as the late, great Paul Harvey would say, well, that's in the rest of the story. And so we'll have to wait until next week. But what are some things that we can remember, reflect on between now and then? First thing, that God's chesed, his covenantal love, can be seen in different ways. And I want to give you a homework assignment this week. I want you to look for it. I want you to look for signs of God's covenantal love to you in your life this week. When you go to the office, when you meet with the neighbor... When you talk to your children, when you say your prayers before your head hits the pillow, look for ways that you see God's chesed, covenant love in your life. And then recognize that he can show that love to all. To all. Irrespective of race and, and grace and age and class. And are we open to God blessing others? Especially those Moabites. Or those other people that we're not particularly fond of? Are we open to God's covenantal love extending even to them? Now we're talking about the missions committee this morning. That's the whole purpose behind missionary work. It's to proclaim God's covenantal love to all the nations. And that is our main task as the people of God. Thirdly, we've been reminded this morning that God is sovereign in all things, even in the details of our lives. Will you trust him this week? Because that is true, that nothing has happened to you that hasn't first passed by his will. Fourthly, God works his character in and through his chosen servants like Boaz. Are you willing to be an instrument in God's hands to be a vehicle of blessing towards others? Boaz had been touched by the grace of God and as a result was willing to express grace to others. Is that a reflection of your life? And then with Naomi, we see that God's provision elicits praise and hard work from his servants. Are you known for your diligence and duty, but then also as one who gives thanks to the Lord when he does provide? 
They provided a great example here in Ruth chapter 2. So as we get ready for chapter 3 next week, reflect on these this week. Do your homework. How do you see God at work in your life? And then share it with someone throughout the week. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that in the details, big and small, you're still God, you're still good, and we are blessed. So as we contemplate how you might be at work in our lives, would you remind us of how you were at work in Ruth's life and Naomi's life and Boaz's life and what it all pointed to? And as we get ready with the Thanksgiving season coming, may we be the first to give thanks to an abundant and lavish God. And as we prepare for an Advent season where we recognize that Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven to come and live among us, would we be among the first to say there is good news of great joy that will be for all the people? And will you cause us to pause and say thank you at each step along the way for how you have blessed us? Bless us this week, Father, because we need it. And then help us to work hard because we want to glorify you. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand as we close out our service, as we sing, Come Now, Fount of Every Blessing. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, turn my heart to sing Thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song, sung by flaming tongues above, praise the As you go out today, make sure you sign up for the Thanksgiving dinner and other opportunities to get involved. We want to have a big celebration two weeks from tonight. So let's all get involved and, and have a great time of provision and thanksgiving to our great God. There's other opportunities. Get that prayer card as you're going out to make sure you pray for Emily throughout the month and look for ways to help the missions committee with all that they're involved with. At 11 o'clock, I'm going to continue with the pastor's class. Today, we start in the book of Ephesians if you're able to stay around and join us. And now, 
May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let us go in peace and have a wonderful Lord's Day. Thank you.